Hello Internet, my name is Walter Ciades Fedchuk, and welcome back to another, I don't have an adjective, uh, another episode of the Final Cut Podcast. <laughs> it's just <laughs> another one, we're going it's full on. It's just another one. Uh, oh God, who's the, the music guy who does another one? There's a DJ Khaled. DJ Khaled. We're DJ Khaleding it up this episode. D- DJ Khaleding it up this episode, which is a shame because we are talking about uh, a pretty highly anticipated movie. Obviously, last time I, I meta acknowledged that we put the titles in the head- headlines, so I don't even need to pretend to like, oh, what's it going to be? We are, of course, going to be talking about The Matrix Resurrections uh, today. And by we, I, of course, mean... Uh, my my friend, my podcast co-host, uh, I would say the Morpheus to my Neo, Ooh. Chase, Redshirt King Wassener. Chase, how you doing today, buddy? I, you know, I've never been called Morpheus before. I think that's a compliment. I'm pretty sure that's a compliment. I, I feel like Morpheus, um, I, I don't know, like the second and third films, it's been a long time since I've watched, but at least in the first film, it seemed like a good dude who knew what he was doing, and... I would very much like to emulate a person who knows what he's doing. So I will take that compliment as it comes, my friend. Well, me calling you Morpheus is for two reasons, honestly. The first one is that because you are the person that sort of got me into this like online persona creation role that we have uh, we have done over the past what eight years seven years uh going all the way back to the beginning you were you were who made me the monster i am on twitter today so i do want to thank you for that um but the second <laughs> this the second reason is because much like in this movie i'm pretty sure i could kick your ass so oh well that's i mean both of those things are true but also now i have to apologize for getting you on the twitter i shouldn't have done that that was a mistake <laughs> i really should well, have consider it I, I was on Twitter before that, but the actual like <laughs> persona of C80s hadn't emerged yet. But yeah, we are going to be talking about Matrix Resurrections. And I think when it was announced and we you know started doing the po- podcast for the movies, this was sort of something we highlighted and we're like, yeah, we're, we're obviously going to watch that. And then sort of forgotten about it while we were doing you know other stuff in, in October and November. And then it slowly started to come around and we were like, oh crap, we got to fit matrix into this uh into this you know schedule like wh- when are we going to do it and then obviously uh omicron happened the covid numbers kind of skyrocketed both of us sort of have started feeling a little bit more uncomfortable going out into public settings unnecessarily again and it's like hey perfect this is on hbo max uh perfect excuse not to go to the movie theaters to watch what should have been a pretty you know blockbuster weekend in the theaters so, yes. Chase, so it probably would have been just sacrificed to the Spider-Man gods anyway, because apparently everyone and their dog has seen that film. I have not. This is my apology for the fact that we're not going to be reviewing Spider-Man anytime soon. But yes, we are. We are. We are doing it. I I also I, I went and saw that film in theaters and that was the last <laughs> time I did anything social out. So hypocrite me. But Chase, Matrix Resurrections right off the bat, like we normally start these things off. What were your first thoughts? What did you think about going into it? Did it meet your expectations? Let, let's start at the beginning. You know, I didn't know what my expectations were going into this because obviously I've seen the first film and the first film is wonderful. It's it's a really fun for what it is. Obviously, by this point, there are some things about it that are a little bit dated, but there's a mastery of the craft there. There's some really fun performances. The concept um, is great if you ignore how it has been twisted by certain portions of the internet, there's a lot to love. Uh, and then the second and third films exist. Uh, and I, I don't, I, I don't remember much, so I'm not going to go too deep into digging in on it, but I didn't enjoy it. There's a reason I didn't remember them. Um, and I, I do really like sense eight, which is a TV show that the Wachowskis did for Netflix that was cut before it's time, much like, all of the good Netflix releases are. And the, I knew that there were going to be some actors from that in this, all of whom did an excellent job, was wonderful seeing all of those Sense8 people coming back for a project like this. And so I had no idea. Uh, was it going to be great or terrible was the question I had in my mind because the internet really set me up for the idea that this was either going to be an instant classic, I can't believe that they did this, that, and the other thing, how subversive, how interesting, 
or this thing is garbage. Uh, it's uh, way up its own ass, and who knows uh, whether or not um, there's enough substance to justify it. I saw both of those takes on social media, and I went in expecting to feel very strongly in either direction. And the answer is that it's fine. It's a it's a good film. It's a great se- spoiler alert. I'm giving it like a seven out of ten. That's that's what this film is. I feel like people overhyped it and underhyped it. It's good. Yeah, I think I think good is a very. I think it's a very fair review. If we're just saying, hey, give us give us a one word, give us a one sentence review. It's a good movie. Um, it doesn't do anything. I think that's earth-shattering or groundbreaking or, or you know, that is so out there that everyone's got to be like, whoa, man, like, this is insanity. It has some really strong parts and it has some pretty weak parts. And I think ultimately, you know, as we discuss it here over the next, you know, 45 minutes or so, that, you know, it comes down that it's a, it's a, it's a movie of two acts. It is a tale of two acts uh, with a very, very strong opening that is very subversive and really kind of shows you i think where the head of the director was and the writing staff and kind of said hey like they never they never really wanted to make a fourth movie let's be honest this was sort of they were kind of pulled into it and the opening of that movie emulates that Uh, the portrayal of neo as this video game producing savant that has created this fantastic trilogy of games known as the matrix is just it's just chef's kiss like oh my god that's how they're gonna get around this this is great he imagined it all and he programmed it into a video game how 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 life mirrors and it's so fun and then it begins the slow like hey he doesn't know that that all happened really so now we have to slowly drag him back down the rabbit hole until he realizes who he is and boom then we get into like a a normal kind of action based matrix movie so chase let us let us start with that because that entire first you know 45 minutes or so where he's this you know, video game developer, I, I was sitting there just like shaking my head in awe of like, wow, this is, this is really smart. I, I mean, it was really honestly, uh, funny. I, I think it was like, th- there were moments there when they made Warner brothers, literally the bad guy at one point, like our, our studio Warner brothers is forcing us to do X, Y, and Z. It's like, wow. Okay. They're just straight up saying it. Uh, there's no subtlety here. It's not like Neo is, uh, dealing with a game that is similar to the matrix and that they're talking about things that are similar to the themes of the first film. There is a full on brainstorming scene that takes a good several minutes that is all about, well, what is the matrix really about? It's about this theme. It's about that theme. It's about these action moments. It's about bullet time. It's about, you know, it's very much the meta text is just the text. There's no holding back. There is no pretending that this is anything other than uh, the, uh, I think it's uh, uh, Lena Machowski, right? Uh, Lana Machowski, excuse me. Uh, Lana Machowski, um, straight up saying like, yeah, I didn't want to do this. I, I did not uh, think that this was something I needed to do. I was very happy with things being the way they are, but you know how those contracts be though. And I surely wasn't going to let anyone else do it. So here we are. Now we're watching this together. And there's something I find satisfying about that as a creative type. It's very cathartic to see this openly acknowledged and discussed and have that be part of the movie's themes itself by by immediately being so forthright on it, right? You've created a situation in which the big takeaways from your movie are the fact that film franchises can start to feel scale, stale after a little bit, that returning back to old projects isn't always perfectly satisfying, that there are these corporate uh, entities that have their own desires and own thoughts as to what you should be and should be doing that is based on profitability that drags you into certain situations. 
And they don't spend the whole movie on that, right? It's like you said, it's about the first 30, first 45 minutes. But the fact that they spend as much time on it as they do really goes to show that Lana Wachowski wants you to understand what it is like to have to come back to this, what it means to her to be coming back to this, what these characters mean to her. And that's something that comes up regularly, right? Um, the fact that Neo and Trinity are back at all, and it's just, by the way, they're alive, it's not a big deal, they're back because I want them back, because if we're going to do this, they're back. That's the way that this works. Um, decisions like that work well here because we are told that this is part of the story, part of what makes The Matrix The Matrix. And it adds a lot of, like, it, it's a very different conversation than any other film that I've watched. It's kind of fascinating to see it be such a focus for as long as it is. I, I think it maybe goes on a little bit too long. Like, the point was certainly made um, before we moved on to the next bit. And as you kind of noted, because this bit was as long as it was, it made the transition significantly less clean because now we have to get back. And don't worry, guys, we are indeed making a Matrix film. We're not just going to spend all of this time talking about my feelings about having to do this project. There is a film in here, too. Um, and, and there are pros and cons to that, right? I, I think some people are going to have very little tolerance for that meta text being so prominent and unignorable in the film. And there are some people who are going to gravitate to that, who are going to find it refreshing and satisfying to see a creative put something onto screen that people don't do. It's, it's a faux pas, the line that you're not supposed to cross. And it does so without breaking the world of the Matrix, right? It is, it is certainly past the fourth wall. We are, we are well beyond the fourth wall with how that is set up. But so is the Matrix. So is the story that we are about to experience. All of this is part of that. And if you're going to enjoy the experience, you need to understand the mindset of the people who are making it. And I, I think that that's fascinating. Yes, I would, I would agree with that. And I think one of the things that sort of drew me into the original Matrix, uh, when I first watched it, probably in my teens, is that there is sort of this, this mind worm that'll get at you sometimes. It's like, it's also real to the people that, that are in the pods, that it kind of gets to you Every once in a while, that sort of like, is reality actually reality thing? And, and I'm not saying that because I want to get down any sort of conspiracy rabbit hole that, you know, I, I believe reality is reality. But it does kind of pull at that sort of asking questions motif that's inherently human of like, all right, but what if it wasn't? And the fact that they take that to the next level beyond the sort of like, well, he's the reality that Neo is existing in in the first couple movies is not actually reality. There is a, a reality outside of it. They're living in this simulation, you know, powering these machines. And the fact that it even goes another step further and is like, right, but what if that reality isn't actually reality? It's a video game that a dude in reality created. And then Subversion again is like, right, but that reality then is also not reality. It's actually the second reality, but now it's a fourth reality. And it, it's such a mind fuck. And it's so brilliant that they're able to weave it in. And, and again, you bring up them saying Warner Brothers directly is behind it. Like, I don't know what contract she signed. I don't know what agreement they had in place with warner brothers but for them to sign off on that is i i have to give props not only to the director but also like the producers for making sure that sort of little dig is in there because i do think there were some people prior to this movie coming out when it was announced that was like why why are we going back to the matrix besides it's a very popular franchise from the past and remakes and reboots and all that jazz are all the rage. So let's just try and cash in on some on some you know nostalgia money here. And again, you made a great point. It has something for both. It has the actual Matrix part in the second half that is for those people that want to watch the Matrix because they want the nostalgia of watching the Matrix. 
but then does have this meta commentary at the beginning that says like, hey, maybe, you know, maybe corporations having absolute control over creative processes isn't the best thing because what happens when the creators don't want to create anymore? What happens when they don't have a story to tell? It's something that's gotten brought up with the um, A Song of Fire and Ice with, with George R.R. R. Martin. And I'm not going to get into you know his creative process or any of those things, but there are fans of that series that go, okay, what happens if he dies before he finishes it? Like, you know a book publisher somewhere is going to be like, well, can we find another author to like finish this story off? Because clearly the series didn't, you know, the TV series didn't end on a satisfying note for anyone. And even George R. R. Martin could be like, hey, maybe the television series was the ending he wanted, but nobody liked it. So hell, like, let me change it and to something maybe, other, you know, people might like, a la Full Metal, uh, Full Metal Alchemist and Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Like, they had that sort of power. But, ah, man, just just opening scene of he's a video game developer that created a video game trilogy called The Matrix is so expertly done and so entertaining and kind of creates this this imaginary world that then when he goes to see his therapist is sort of like brought up is like oh you're having the dreams again tell me about the dreams and turns from this sort of meta commentary discussion about you know, creatives and control over the creative process and control over IP and that sort of stuff into a discussion about mental health and awareness and treatment and um, a control, essentially, which is something that the Matrix series has sort of discussed, you know, writ at large. Um, I would say that part of what drew me to the movie was Neil Patrick Harris being in it because I was so intrigued by is this just that he's doing a small little cameo because he wants to be in the matrix films or does he have a larger role at play and it turns out he has a much larger role at play uh as playing you know not just thomas anderson neo's therapist but also the analyst who is the new guy in charge of the matrix at large how did those sort of that parallel like, how did you feel about that, Chase? What were your thoughts about sort of using Neil Patrick Harris in that role and then him ultimately being, quote-unquote, the bad guy? You know, it's complicated, right? I, I think this movie has a very harsh view of the psychiatry and uh, psychotherapy profession. Um, I mean, clearly, the therapist is the bad guy. Um, the therapist provides medication that suppresses who Neo really is with those blue pills that are meant to keep him locked in a false reality rather than allowing him to connect with his true self. Yeah, they, they shape the world around them quite literally, um, which is very much meant to be a, a parallel to how therapists can hear the things that you are saying and potentially twist them into a, a version of uh, the world that is that is either easier to swallow or that fits into that therapist's preconceived notion of how the world should be. Um, and I, I think, you know, personally, I've spent over a decade in therapy. I've got clinical depression and anxiety. It's genetic. It's never going to go away. It do be like that sometimes. Um, and therapy has been wonderful for me. It has played a very big role in my ability to better understand myself, to develop a sense of emotional intelligence that has made me uh, a better person and a better friend and has enabled me to help people in situations in which they haven't had that exposure and to help give them the tools so that they can do, the, that's, you know, do that for themselves. It's very important to me. I, I, it's changed my life in a very positive, meaningful way. And without my medication... Things do not go well for me. I have a really hard time. But the Wachowskis come from a very different background than I do. Uh, Lana and Lily are both trans women. And being a trans person was considered a mental illness not very long ago. 
Um, we still have a lot of people who consider it a mental illness, unfortunately, and trans people are very regularly um, being treated as lesser or like they are wrong for feeling the way that they do. And unfortunately, therapy has been an institution that has, to a certain extent, uh, perpetuated that, uh, trying to help steer people in a way that denies that identity because that identity is not seen as something that should be enabled or encouraged. Rather, you know, they don't see it as an expression of their true selves, but as a problem to be solved. And if your identity is a problem to be solved and you are given medication to try to limit and uh, kind of reshape your way of thinking away from something that you are that is a, 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 an important part of yourself, like, yeah, I wouldn't think very good about the therapeutic community either. I totally understand how we got here um it sucks that that's the experience of way too many people um it sucks that therapy is uh to a large portion of people uh in the in the united states i i can't speak to countries in the rest of the world because it turns out uh the world's complicated and there are a lot of different people and a lot of different cultural beliefs on on therapy and psychiatry but you know at least stateside right it's expensive prohibitively so for a lot of people not every insurance company even covers visits like that, right? And so you have, you know, and, and you better hope that the one you find works with you, right? Because not everybody is going to click. I, I have had psychiatrists who I have had to leave because they are clearly not understanding of the kind of philosophy and approach that I have to, to therapy and, and to my medications. And it just wasn't a good fit. And you know, I, I feel awful for people who are put in a negative position with that in which a, a therapist or psychiatrist's understanding of emotional intelligence is used to twist and shape things in a negative way. I, you know, I, ultimately, I, I don't feel like I have any right to um, undermine the Wachowski's experience on this, the one that clearly is brought to the forefront of this film. Uh, the analyst is the ultimate bad guy, and his ability to uh, suppress and reshape uh, narratives is also shown in how he is able to suppress and reshape the world. Uh, the whole point that the analyst has is that by studying people, they, he's found a way to... Um, to make things worse for them, to enhance the things that the Matrix can exploit. And I think it is impossible to look at this film without recognizing how much of it was shaped by you know, Lana's view of that field. Um, and it sucks that that's her experience with it, and it sucks that that's the experience of way too many people with it. I, I, there's not a lot of nuance here, for someone like myself who has had a positive experience, there's nothing in the film for people who um, believe that it can be helpful. And it makes me uncomfortable that that's true. But it's important to recognize it because, again, they're coming from a very different experience. Her life, uh, like it's very clear that it did not help and that she's in a much better place now that she's doing things her own way. And it's not for everyone, and that's important to acknowledge. So, I don't know. It's all complicated and messy, and I, I think it's good that the movie talked about these things. And I just wish that we lived in a world in which there wouldn't be a very good reason to paint people in a profession that really should be designed to help people and to, to be... Uh, an emotional support and, and to provide medication that can help you be your better self that the experience for so many people is such that they would be a fitting villain in a movie like this i personally don't have a lot of personal interaction when it comes to um mental health interactions with therapists psychiatrists anything like that i've been to a, you know a few different therapists a couple of different times and Ultimately, everything that I've learned about therapy has been, you know, through friends uh, like you, um, you know, 
so on and so forth in their experiences. So I, I don't really have a good take on sort of either side of it, whether therapy is positive or, you know, this negative way that the, uh, the movie presents it. Um, the one thing I do know is that therapy is something that you have to want to do in a way. Uh, I know sometimes topics and, or, and, and um, discussions are very tough and might not be things that anyone wants to talk about in that moment, but eventually that ultimately was what ha- has to happen. It's like working out, and I hate to sort of debase mental health and therapy in that way and maybe, you know, trying to talk about it as like, you know, going and doing squats at the gym, but it has to be something, it is something that you have to want to put the effort into and want to put the time into and want to make work. And there is something about Thomas Anderson at the beginning that he is so sort of acquiescent and just like, yeah, like when I, when it's bad, I I go to my therapist and I talk to it and, and, uh, you know, does the, the, um, motions with his hands to ground himself in reality. And, uh, you know, hat, hat obviously has the, the, the blue pills, which we all go, uh, 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 okay. I know what that is. And has the, you know, scene where he is slowly starting to realize they aren't helping and he doesn't want to do it. And then he eventually makes that conscious choice of getting rid of the pills. And that is him being like, this isn't working for me. This has failed. I, it's not helping right now. I think beyond that, beyond their experiences and their portrayal of those experiences, I think there's also another commentary that is happening that ultimately happens a bit later into the film where we have the interaction uh, between Neo and uh, the analyst uh, at, um, at Trinity's motorcycle shop. Where basically the analyst, you know, admits, yeah, I've been studying you all this time. I've been studying humanity. I've been figuring out what makes you all tick. And ultimately comes down to this discussion that humanity wants to be enslaved. Humanity wants things to be easy. Humanity wants their perfect world. So I give it to them. And it does seem like, you know, Neo and and Trinity have very, very successful, quote unquote, perfect lives. And, you know, Trinity has a family and a husband and, you know, rides her motorcycle and and seems to be a happy mom. And, you know, obviously Thomas Anderson at the early beginning has all these awards for being, you know, a, a video game developer and yada yada. And even as we, you know, ascend the mountain of conflict and, and get to the ultimate, you know, climax of the film, you know, the analyst is still like, hey, just like come back. Like, I'll give you all this back. I'll give you what you want back because that's what's best for everyone because then everyone is happy. Everyone gets their perfect world. Instead of just being like, well, I'm going to kill you now because you figured out my evil plan. And there is something I feel even a bit more sinister about that where, sure, he's offering the carrot and the stick, but he is offering, it's not a carrot. It's like a 12-course feast. But the the caveat of that is you can never be, I, I remember like the, the scene very vividly where, Neil Patrick Harris basically has his hands apart. He's like, I just had to figure out the right distance to put between the two of you so that you would interact enough to not want to seek the other person out, but wouldn't get so close that the image shattered. And ultimately, the image shatters because Neo stops wanting it that doesn't want that to be his perfect world anymore and decides to change the narrative of what would make him happy. I feel like that's kind of a a common trope among those types of villains, not the non-physical villains, the, um, the blowfields of the world, as opposed to, um, as opposed to like other Bond villains. But do you have any thoughts on that? Because honestly, just as we were recording, that sort of kind of crawled back into my head of that was a pretty key part of the analyst's character. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting, right? Because I, 
I think I might mildly disagree in that I don't think that they're being offered a 12-course feast. I think what they're being offered is the thing that all of us are offered all of the time, right? And and this is where maybe a little bit of a critique of, of capitalism and, and the uh, work culture and everything else comes into play a bit, uh, which we also see in the beginning with some of the Meditech stuff working in the um, the game studio and whatnot. But like, he's not happy. Neo is not a, a person who is feeling like he's living his best life. There is a sense of dissatisfaction that he carries in everything that he does. Uh, none of the characters in The Matrix are, are seen as being truly happy, but they are living lives that are designed such that they always get just enough happiness to keep them going, to keep them moving forward. And that is the world that we all live in now, right? Like, we all make sacrifices and do things that we hate sometimes or, or have it at the very least would not necessarily be doing if we had the ability to do whatever we wanted because we like having a roof over our heads, right? Because we, we, we have the money to spend time with people that we care about, that we can invest in the relationships that we have with the time that we have free to do so. And that has value. Um, it is worth, in theory, the trade-off that we make that we have to be powering this system. You know, in this case, it's literally powering a system in the Matrix. In ours, it's powering a system that is the capitalist framework in which all of us live. Um, again, I, I'm saying all of us, United States, please forgive me. I can't cover every country in the world and the nuances involved. Um, but it it's certainly um, it, it's kind of fascinating to see that and and part of I, I think the critique of, that the analyst has and and the critique of therapy that comes into play is that therapy is designed to help you keep going with what the system and in our larger case society wants you to do right uh, there's a lot of therapy that is you know either uh, you know, given by an employer or by, you know, whatever you come into, because it would make you more effective, right? You're more efficient, you're more capable of contributing, and that's where your value comes in, right? That's, we have health insurance from employers because employers are do better when we are not sick, when we are able to contribute. Um, and, and there's something to be said about how therapists are not designed to tell you, you know what, you're right. Society and what it's telling you to do and the role that you're trying to play is awful and you should fight off it and go into the woods and live your own life off the grid. All of this, every, you know, that's not, what, that's not what therapists are designed to do. Therapists are designed to make you better within the confines of the world in which you live, whatever that world is. And there's value in that. And, you know, in our world, like, you know, the structures of our society are not going to fall apart overnight. Um, learning how to be content with that and learning how to live within that and still find the happiness within that, I think that's something everyone can benefit from. But, you know, as I, I talked about earlier, right, I, I think for uh, people like Lana, uh, for whom uh, this kind of thing is, is very much uh, was pushing back against the person that she wanted to be, well, that's not great. That's just trying to get people to, to do what makes them normal, what makes them uh, efficient, what makes them profitable, what makes them, you know, fit in. And maybe you're not supposed to fit in. Uh, the Neo and ultimately Trinity's choice at the end, right, is choosing to reject a family, the life that she has, to do something that's different, to not fit in, to, to stand out and she gains powers to match that, you know? Um, so, it, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a, a really interesting uh, character. And I, I think that the things that I really like about this film come to these philosophical questions that are asked. And that's what The Matrix is good at, right? The reason that The Matrix sticks with people, it's more than just the shots, right? And it's more than just the, uh, you know, individual moments that got brought up in the beginning it's the fact that it makes you think and because it makes you think 
it sticks with you. Um, and I, I think this film will stick with me even as I have uh, mixed feelings on the piece as a whole. Because, as you said, there's a whole middle section that we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about where, like, Neo gets out of his pod and then goes back to this new city that's been set up in the in the real world and then decides to go back because we have to save... Like, there's there's a lot that isn't particularly engaging because it's the thing that a movie has to do. You know, it's the thing that an action film does. And it's this stuff, these moments, where the philosophy comes to the forefront and these real critiques on the world in which we live are the center of it that Matrix Resurrections shines. Yes, and, and we will we'll get to that middle section just in a bit. Um, I, one of the reasons that I like thought about this sort of like, oh, you know, ease and, and just, just enough is the, what prompted it is sort of my thoughts on, um, on uh, this whole um, Neil Young, uh, Joe Rogan thing. Obviously, Neil Young, uh, Joe Rogan is a very controversial uh, podcaster, has some pretty uh, controversial opinions and people on his podcast and has been, you know, massively platformed by Spotify. If we uh, eventually are kicked off Spotify, here's here's where it happened. Um, <laughs> but that Neil Young sort of took a stand and said, hey, like, if you're going to let this this person whose opinions I, not only Neil Young disagrees with, but I disagree with quite vehemently the people that he allows on his show and sort of some of the um the conspiracy i'm gonna say conspiracies he's been peddling dangerous uh, misinformation because it's the misinformation bit the the lying actively in ways that get people killed that's the point because i i don't want to get like we're anti-free speech here we're we're anti-people lying in a way that gets people killed which is what's happening on joe rogan's show a little bit too often yes absolutely so neil young basically says hey if you're going to keep Joe Rogan on your platform, which obviously they're going to, they paid him like $2 billion or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you don't get Neil Young. And Spotify said, okay. And removed, you know, has removed his discography. Um, theoretically, I have not personally gone onto Spotify and looked up Neil Young songs. I'm, I don't think I'm the biggest Neil Young pl- fan on the planet. Um, but theoretically, have removed his you know discography from it because he is the rights holder and, and yada, yada, yada. And it has given me pause because Spotify is something that is so inherent in my life. Um, it is something that I use pretty much every single day because of sort of the ease of access that I can listen to pretty much anything that I want outside of Neil Young now um, at just a click of a button and I pay, you know, whatever it is, 10 bucks a month and I don't have to listen to ads, which is like one of the things that pushes me away from radio. And obviously we, you know, have the podcast for us that is on there. And there are a number of other podcasts that I listen to that are on there. And it has become something that is so ubiquitous that even though I agree with Neil Young and I agree that Joe Rogan is a terrible person for pushing this misinformation it is something that I have problems with of like, but if I cut it out of my life, then I lose all of this quote unquote good that I am, I am purchasing and consuming. And it does feel hard to sort of separate myself from that and make a, a stance with my wallet when it is just so easy, uh, easy to use and convenient and all those things. So I think that, that, you know, kind of aspect stuck out a little bit to me in this film. And where do you go, right? Okay, Spotify's not great, but what what platform isn't hosting Joe Rogan's podcast right now in a way? Like, what is the audio platform that isn't ripping off a lot of artists and not giving them nearly the value that their work brings in? What is the ethical consumption in a society like the one that we are built? And, you know... I, I, this is I, I've gone on a very anti-capitalist screen in this podcast already, so I won't repeat myself. But yeah, <laughs> th- there are no easy choices here, and the only winning move is not to play. Or if you have God powers like Trinity and Neo get at the end of the film, reshaping it to your image, which um, I don't think is necessarily realistic for what uh, is going to happen with us, but um, certainly is a much more cathartic ending than the one that. Uh, most people get here yeah most people you just you know grow old retire way too late and die yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> but that being said, yeah, let, let's get to the ending because there is there is this middle part that is basically the problem is is that they spent forty five minutes to an hour doing all this meta exposition at the beginning and uh, this meta commentary that they go, oh crap, we have to get all the exposition into this like. 30 minute chunk that way we can get to the big action set pieces towards the end um i think the transition that they use to sort of get into the exposition uh, the the train scene is fun it's a neat concept it's a good idea uh i remember you know you sort of brought up uh, you know shots earlier and that's just like very well defined like traveling out of the comfort zone using a train uh similar to when you brought up the the uh, discussion of rat catchers uh background in suicide squad like it's a very thoughtful metaphor to use a mode of transportation to sort of carry you from and this is where we started and now we are going to here and then you have uh you have exposition dump where they all like hey here's what's been going on here's io uh yobi comes back who was a child in the at the end of um revolutions they have a nice fight scene smith comes out he beats the ever-living shit out of neo because I'm Agent Smith. That's what I do. We have the interaction between Neo and Morpheus where we get that little fight scene uh, that, you know, proves, no, Neo does have his powers. He, he is, you know, he is Neo. You, be, you have to believe he is actually Neo. And then sort of builds to this climax of they try to go, they, he tries to go rescue Trinity in the Matrix, is caught by the analyst who freezes time and says, like, how do you like having your bullet time used against you? Like, blah, blah, blah. Here's my offer. Come back to the Matrix, get back in your pod, and I won't kill everyone. And it leads to this scene where they, there's obviously a heist going on where they're going to get Trinity out of the Matrix anyways. But it leads to this scene in the coffee shop where Neo and Trinity have sort of been crossing paths and where Neo finally goes and interacts with her and finds out oh she has a child in life but she gives him a little hint it's like oh i like to ride motorcycles and i'd like to meet you again and they have eventually have a little sit down or they drink coffee together and she talks about how he played she played his games and she thought the main character looked like her and her husband laughed and blah 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 and shows up and all of the the bots i believe is what they're calling but the the the, the new smith basically are standing there and Trinity is there, and the analyst is there. And here's your choice, Neil. Here is your choice. And it leads to one hell of an action sequence. It does. And, you know, <laughs> that might have been 45 minutes long. It's, it's really funny because, you know, one of the things that I heard about this film on social media going in was that like, oh, you know, how rare is it that the climax of a film is this, you know, philosophical argument, just two people sitting down at a table and talking. And so we get to that scene, and I'm really engaged in it. I'm really enjoying watching the two characters battle out and, you know, kind of talk this out in this kind of war of words and war of ideas. Um, and so when it gets to the big fight scene, it's like, okay, you know, right, this is an action film and it is the way that these things need to end and, like, it's really well done. Um, it's fast-paced, it's exciting, it's uh, very fun. Um, I, I think that the uh, constant shift of, of throwing, you know, all of these people at them, you know, rather than having one uh, singular uh, bad guy like you see in the uh, in the first films where Agent Smith just kind of overtakes whoever he wants in order to create like a swarm of agent smiths these are all just people who happen to be uh taken over and by this hive mind that the analyst has created which is just much more effective right just watching people throw themselves out of buildings to try to stop this motorcycle is visually stunning um it's the you know obviously it's got all the explosions you want it to have it's got um a really fun flying moment uh when trinity uh figures out that she can do that and neo absolutely can't uh, i've seen some people critiquing that and it's like hey, you're missing the point uh that's uh there's a lot of symbolism behind why trinity is is free of these things and, and neo uh hasn't quite been yet um because he's still uh 
figuring some of these things out, though by the end it seems like he has. Um, I, I think it's really well done and well orchestrated, and it feels like the thing that it had to do, because it's an action film, and if you're going to have all these people tuning into your action film, you need to have the big action set piece at the end. Um, I don't know... Like, if you ask me what I would have preferred, I, I don't have a great answer for you, um, because the scene is really well done, and I, I wouldn't have done the action parts of it any other way. It's just, when, when I think about this film, and I think about what I'm going to remember about this film, there will be a couple moments of, of action shots where it's like, ooh, that was really well done. But we're at a point now, there are so many films that learned from The Matrix, that have done things like what The Matrix originally did, that seeing a really good version of that doesn't change the game, per se, for me. Um, what does change it is the philosophical questions that we've been talking about for the rest of this uh, review, right? There's a reason that that's what we've spent the majority of our time talking about here. It's because it's the part of the movie that has the most to say. You know, I, I, I think that it's really good spectacle it's very well done spectacle but it's spectacle and a lot of why the middle of the film doesn't quite work as well as the beginning or the end is because um that's not enough to make the matrix stand out compared to other action films uh it's not even the best keanu reeves action sequence that's the john wick series which all three of those films are fucking awesome uh, cannot recommend more highly um, if you enjoy action films. And if that's what you want, that's all John Wick is trying to be, and it does that really well. So I I, I think overall I, I enjoyed the ending sequence, and I think it was really well done. And there are moments where it really, the, the philosophy in this hive mind and, and how it's throwing just general bodies at the problem in order to protect the system really well done it's clever uh i i just i it it doesn't i don't know i i don't know how else you do it uh because it still is an action film and there are going to be people who really want the action it's it's a very different kind of film if you just have people talking at each other and for the record i like that genre of film too so maybe what i'm really asking for is a matrix spinoff that doesn't feel the need to be an action film, that can just be letting Lana Wachowski and maybe Lily, if she's free this time around, um, play around with the ideas and let that come to the forefront. But I, I, I think uh, for what it is, done very well. I would say that I was, I was waiting for the action scene. I was waiting for the big... I, of course, it's going to end with a big fight scene, but... The way the movie had progressed and the choice of villain, I really went, they can't do a fight scene between Neo and the analyst. You know, no matter what Neil Patrick Harris has accomplished previously, I mean, Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog is like the only time he's actually been like an action villain or anything. He's not an action <laughs> Are we star. Are counting not... that as action? It's... Dr. I mean, I, I think he gets punched in the face by Nathan Fillion. Yeah, like, that's, I, that tracks. Know. He yeah. does probably yeah. get punched in the face. <laughs> Listen, I just wanted to bring up Dr. Hor Horrible sing-along blocks. Sue me. I don't care. <laughs> um, but the entire time I was going, okay, how do they have the, the ultimate fight scene at the end, which we all know is going to happen after there's some deep philosophical conversation? Didn't know who that was going to happen between. Obviously, it happens between Keanu and... and and Neil Patrick Harris twice to bookend the the big action fight scene. And as I watched the entire movie, it was very, very clear that this was not going to be John Wick. This was not going to be Keanu Reeves busting out a shit ton of martial arts and beating the ever-loving piss out of everyone. In reality... I mean, we have the the fight scene between him and Morpheus. We have the fight scene um, between him and the the Mervingian and Smith that happens in the, the the like abandoned warehouse, and then you know the fight scene in the cafe. But once they break out of the cafe, 
it's it's Neo and Trinity on a motorcycle, like driving through all the chaos. And the younger stars in this movie, uh, Jessica Henwick as Bugs, uh, Yahya um, Abdul-Mateen as Morpheus, uh, you know, Berg, Lexi. It's all the young guns that are really doing the bulk of the martial arts combat action scene stuff. And I'm sure that's a philosophical choice. I'm sure that's, a, a, you know, a, a, there was a decision made not to have it just be neo and trinity fight their way through the entire city by themselves there there was a a philosophical choice behind it because ultimately that wasn't what the movie was about it wasn't about the physical fight that the two were engaging in both their bodies had already been rescued at that point it was about the philosophical and kind of spiritual fight that needed to happen and the belief in themselves that they they are who they thought they were he is not thomas anderson he is Neo. He is the hero, I guess, of the Matrix and, and the, the savior of humanity against the machines. And Trinity is Trinity. But again, savior of humanity and, and hero against the machines. And it is that ultimate belief that they need to encapsulate inside themselves and, dis and discover and have that leap of faith. Even though, you know, um, yeah, Neo can't fly at that moment when they, they jump. That was interesting. That was a nice little subversion of expectations. And then it leads to they escape, they win, they win the day, yada, yada, yada. And then there's one last discussion with the analyst, with Neil Patrick Harris. And they basically go to him and say, yeah, we're going to do things our way. Fuck off. Like, we'll let you exist because you aren't as bad as the guys that were, were you know, before or that could come after. But just so you know, at the end of the day, you can't do anything to us. We're, we're the ones really in charge here, and, and we're going to do whatever we want. And I think that is interesting, because it does then parallel back to this sort of operating on the margins of the system and accepting that, rewind it back, capitalism exists. That is just how the United States operates. But there is a way to operate on the edge of it that can make you happy that can ultimately you can be successful with um personally not you know financially not you know anything within like the the definition of success of the system but personal success and i don't know that ending sort of left me feeling a little hollow it felt almost too much of a happy ending to me than what i was sort of expecting it I guess it sets up some sort of sequel if they want to yeah, do it, but I was gonna say. it kind of brings me it kind of brings me to my ultimate question here, Chase, is how did you feel revisiting the Matrix? Was this movie necessary? And do you want to see more? So it's a great question because I, I think there's a very big difference. Like when, when you say, was it necessary? No, I don't think it was necessary. I, I think that the legacy of the matrix is going to be based on what the first film had to offer. And while this is going to have an audience that, that certainly loves it and an audience that certainly does not. Um, I, I think for the majority of viewers, the matrix will still be defined by the f way in which they originally experienced it. You know, it, it's, it's really hard to recapture just how big the Matrix was when it first came out, which is something that the film is very smart for acknowledging, you know? Um, am I glad that it exists? Yes. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I, this film made me think. It, it made me ask questions. Uh, it challenged me uh, in, in certain viewpoints that I believe in. And that's what film is supposed to do. I'm glad that uh, Lana ultimately decided to make this film, despite feeling very conflicted about whether she would or not, because it simply would not be the same without, um, without her voice, without her literally bringing her own journey into so much of what this film is. And I think that that's great. Um, do I want to see more? I don't know. I, I 
I don't know if Lana wants to make more, right? Like, she didn't want to necessarily make this one, and, and we see that very directly in the beginning of the film, when it's very clear that that is uh, not something that uh, Neo is excited about or looking forward to. Um, is, is the next one going to be a, a project that they, you know, that she wants to get back into? I, I honestly do not know. Um, I'm very curious to see what she does. I'm very curious, you know, if if this is something that Warner Brothers and, and the, the Wachowskis pursue, uh, or if this is something that, you know, the door has been left open. The clock, now that a movie has been made, it's going to take a little bit of time before uh, the rights are, are open source for um, Warner Brothers to get whoever they want to do it. And maybe uh, they let the clock run out this time. I don't know. Um, it certainly leaves a lot more room for a future film than the third one did, which straight up kills both Neo and Trinity. Uh, this film tells you not to worry about that because, you know, it's, it's a movie. Um, it would be better with them being there than not, so they're back. That's how emotionally that makes more sense than trying to keep some logical through line. And, you know, if, if they have more, if Lana, you know, depending on whether Lily wants to get back involved again, if, if Lana has more that she wants to explore in this universe, I, I think that she has a lot to say. And uh, again, as someone who really liked Sense8, I really enjoy her insight into uh the world and and how her experiences really come together i i do kind of think that it would be great to see her and potentially lily uh get back into tv shows i know that lily was working on a showtime series while all of this was happening and i i would be very happy to see them do you know not quite like a sensate 2.0 and maybe even not a, a Matrix thing, though you could certainly do a TV series based in the Matrix universe that I think would go very well. Um, but I, I would like to see more time given to exploring the concepts and a, a person's mind who I think has a, a lot of things that are easy to latch on to, um, whatever, um, whatever else there is to say about this film. Um, she's interesting. They're both interesting. And I would take interesting over, uh, you know, something that is by the numbers, maybe a little bit uh, prettier or a little bit uh, cleaner. I I like the mess and I appreciate that. So do I want another one? Does she want another one? If she wants another one, I'm down to watch another one. If she doesn't, I'm down to let it die. I don't want a matrix by anyone other than than her. Um, that's that's kind of where I come down. I don't think the movie was necessary. I, I am in full agreement there. I don't think that until it was announced, I don't think anyone ever thought that we would go back to the Matrix in any sort of meaningful way. Again, I agree. I'm glad it was made. I think the first half of this movie is, is spectacular. I think the subversion and sort of attacking the, the core problem that... You know, the issue is that, hey, like Warner Brothers wanted to make it because they wanted to make money. Let's just be honest about that. Let's talk about that. Let's have this commentary about it. Let's, that's a very interesting way to bring Neo back. Um, and it's a good movie. As we said at the beginning, it is, a, it is a good movie. I would say even very good. It's an entertaining movie. It makes you think. It's got, it's got something for pretty much everyone over the age of 18 or uh, 13. It's, it's got every it's got something for pretty much everyone over the age of 13 i don't think it's i don't think kids should watch it i don't think that they'll understand it i don't think that there, <laughs> there's any sort of benefit uh from from god i hate using children uh watching this movie just like point blank um but i never wanted to see anything else about the matrix universe um, you know, there are some things where you watch it and you go like, okay, well, how did humanity get into the pods? Like, what happened? Like, reality, like, hey, like, go back to that. What actually happened? Like, what's a prequel look like? I've never, ever had those thoughts with The Matrix. 
I, and again, it's been a very, it's been a very, very long time since I've, since I've watched any of the movies. I know I had sort of, you know, joked to myself before watching this. I was like, oh, I should watch the other three one, just so, you know, other three of them, just so I'm better and, you know, informed for this. And then, uh, you know, life happens. It's kind of hard to, you know, find time to watch three other movies that are just, you know, window dressing for one movie uh, conversation, you know, on an hour long podcast. But as I've thought about this, I don't, it's not that I don't care about anything outside the universe. It's just that this is such a good, this is such a good point in time. This is such a good story in and of itself that to go outside of it and to start adding, um, I hate to bring her into this conversation because it, it feels like I'm belittling Lana and Lily here, but JK Rowling, I don't need to know like that wizards just like, shit wherever and then they apparated away like i i don't need that kind of detail in the matrix i'm pretty good of it being this sort of insulated construct and this is all the information you know and they added a little bit of like interesting you know like you know uh, the the, uh, peanuts on top of the the hot fudge sundae you know a little sprinkle of them here with sort of like oh well some of the machines are good and they decided to help humans now because the other machines are evil and like beat them up and make fun of them or whatever they they fought against each other so on and so forth. Like that was a nice little kind of, you know, sprinkle on top of it. But like, I don't need to know anything else about this universe. I think everything is more interesting because we don't know. We don't ultimately know what led humanity to this point. It's just that they're at this point and this is how they interacted with it. And to me, that's all I need. I don't want another movie. Um, if they made one, I, I'd be hard pressed to be excited about it. Because it wouldn't come out of nowhere. It wouldn't be like, well, yeah, of course, like of course they made a fifth one. The fourth one made so much money. Like, duh, it made like duh. Of course they're gonna do it. It's sort of like when um when the Force Awakens come came out. I think everyone knew that a third Star Wars trilogy would come at some point. They just weren't sure when. And again, I don't think anyone thought another Matrix movie was ever going to happen. And you can't you can't surprise people twice with something like that. It's just it's it's not possible. And now it's always in the back of our heads, like, well, they could do another Matrix. They left it open to interpretation. Like, yeah, leave it open to interpretation. Let let the fanfic writers, let us at home, kind of create what we think now happens in the universe. I don't think I need Warner Brothers to tell me what happens next. Uh. Chase, you obviously you gave this movie a seven, as you said earlier. I, do you want to change that number by any chance? No, it's it's a seven, and and it's a strong seven. Um, I I think that uh, the good of this film outweighs the bad, and I think that it is absolutely worth watching. I just can't give it more than that because that would be ignoring that there's a lot of this film that you and I did not find anything meaningful to talk about and that part of the film exists too uh yeah i would i would say i bet part of the reason why that sort of like little section kind of in the middle tying the action scene to the beginning together why that probably doesn't mean as much is that it's i feel like it's been a while since either of us have watched any of these movies so it does feel like some of these plot points are probably missing i'm sure you know niobe being unveiled it was probably supposed to be like this big like oh or uh or uh sati being unveiled was supposed to be this big oh thing and like afterwards i was like who are those characters uh okay okay now now i get the point um yeah i agree i think it's a seven i th- i think it's a very very strong seven might be kind of pushing up to that like 7.5 range up that way uh it's a fun movie it's enjoyable if you like the matrix it's got some good philosophical, you know, meta-breaking shit at the beginning, and then you got a good solid, you know, uh, third of a Matrix movie at the end of it, which isn't to say, like, that's a bad thing. Like, that that final third is good, and if you want a Matrix movie, that's what that final third is. Um, but yeah, that middle part is just, uh, it's just there. It's there because uh, they needed some bread to put the you know the meat in even though the meat is on the the outsides is on the edge and now the bread's in the middle i don't know that that analogy didn't make much sense but chase you know what makes a lot of sense 
Following you on Twitter, oh. where can the good folks at home find you? I mean, I suppose it makes sense. You can find me at Chase Wassenaar on Twitter. You can also find the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod, uh, where you will see uh, both this show, Final Cut, and uh, we have, of course, uh, Steam Cleaners, our gaming podcast that airs on all the weeks that we're not doing this. And assuming that I've done my job properly... Uh, you should have seen an episode of K-Pop Shenanigans. It is coming back as a show that will be done once a month here on the Rough Drafts Podcast Network, which I'm very excited about as someone who spends way too much of my time listening to K-Pop. I finally have an excuse to talk about it with my co-hosts over there. So uh, if you want all of the things, they're all going to be here in the Rough Drafts feed. But of course, if you just want one of those things, we do have individual shows now uh, on Anchor FM that you can find on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Wherever you get your podcasts, we're theoretically there. And if we're not on your favorite thing, just tell me. It seems like a lot of boring grunt work, but I will do it if it'll help you guys. I'm, I'm a helper. I tell my, my D&D players this all the time. I'm a helper, I swear. Uh, so... Thanks for the follow and thanks for your chat. <laughs> I will say Chase de- definitely put in quite a bit of work into splitting everything off uh, into separate feeds because, listen, I understand, like, not everything is everyone's cup of tea. Uh, you guys can find me at C80s underscore LOL. Uh, make 13 second jokes at me because we are recording this uh, four days after the Buffalo Bills lost in the AFC Divisional Round to the Kansas City Chiefs because we couldn't prevent them from getting to field goal range with 13 seconds. I'm still dead inside. Uh, but what's not dead inside is the next movie that we're going to talk about. And this one, folks, is coming out of left field. I think if you know anything about me, you would never ever 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 expect me to cover this movie uh so come back in two weeks because uh there's a little disney magic in the air until then goodbye internet